I'm Tom Dreisbach, and like Don Cranes, I am on the Elder Board, and I'm also part of the Senior Pastor Search Committee. And today is a very exciting day for us. Um, and let me give you a little context on that. So it was a year ago that the Elder Board started working on praying through who we could ask to be part of the uh, Senior Pastor Search Committee. And in May of last year, uh, there was actually a congregational meeting, and there were seven folks called uh, to be on that senior pastor search committee. So Don and I, Greg Bandy, Ron Benner, Brittany Bird, Catherine Gideon, and Brenda Mills. So that was a search committee you called, and we've been working on it for the last nine months. And I was looking back at the annual meeting notes and the congregational meeting notes from that, so whoever predicted nine months was really good because that made it into the notes and that's what it's taken. So we spent a lot of time revamping the uh, job description, putting it out there, collecting resumes, listening to sermons, a lot of good sermons, some, yeah. but it was great. It was really a blessing for me is to be part of that search committee. And what was an even a bigger blessing for the search committee is that we had an abundance of great candidates. We actually, through multiple interviews, whittled it down to four, and then three, and then two. And God really led us to uh, strongly consider and recommend to the elder board uh, Pastor Mitch Reed. And the thing that's also encouraging to me is I've, I've listened to Pastor Reed over this weekend where he's been up here to candidate. It really feels like God's calling Mitch and Cheryl and his family here as well. So a tremendous blessing. Uh, Mitch, I'm sure we'll talk more about himself in the service, but he uh, comes to us as a candidate uh, with 14, almost 14 years of experience at his current church uh, in Zanesville, Ohio, Emanuel Church, also a 4C church, as we are. And before that, has experience as a, a youth pastor and then nine years of experience with Young Life as well. So we look at Mitch and we really see that his approach, his method of, of ministering and, and leading as a senior pastor lines up well with our vision, what we as the elder board and as the congregation see as our vision for this church. So I'm really excited to invite uh, Mitch to come on up and um, as a side note, uh, there's a, we'll be collecting a love offering at the end. There'll be uh, ushers with uh, uh, collection plates at the end of the service. So thank you very much, and welcome, Mitch. I'm really excited to be here and to, to look at all of you. I was really glad to be able to worship with you all. It was excellent. Thank you for the worship team and um, all those a part of that. I want to really just begin by starting in our main scripture this morning. I'm going to read that and then we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. So if you would just kind of prepare your hearts. The passage we're going to kind of really be the focus is Isaiah 11. And I will read verses 1 to 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, 
the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra and the weaned child shall Put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. Let me ask God just to bless this message, Tom. Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds as we hear your word. May you give us understanding and may this enable us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I bring you greetings from Ohio. Um, I, I want you to know they've, there's been no cases of the coronavirus in Ohio, so you do not need to quarantine me. Um, but I, I, I am excited to be here. Um, to, to get to know, I've been anticipating this this weekend for a little while now. After um, spending this this time with the search committee, and so I thought I would start my sermon time by sharing, um, I'd say my favorite Bible verse. This is a, a, a passage, a verse that has been very important in my self understanding, and the context of it. It comes from First Samuel sixteen. The context is God is sending the prophet Samuel. To anoint the next king. And so God sends him to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem is the family of Jesse. And Jesse has many sons. And so Samuel sees the the oldest son. Who's very handsome and tall and strong. And thinks this must be the man that God has chosen to be the next king. It is then that God speaks clearly to uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, says the Lord. <laughs> the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So I share that with you because I don't want you to make your decision based on my incredible good looks. Or my, my winning personality or my chiseled features. You know, instead, I think you should make it based on the incredible sense of humility that I bring with me. Um, I do have a question for the search committee. Can you tell how tall someone is on Skype? Um, I should let you know, I do not have any kind of major Napoleon complex. I have no plans for a land invasion of Asia. But we might look at Schenectady. I think we can take it. Um, so, yes, I'm not very tall. Just, just, just so you know. Another verse that uh, I think defines me, in a sense, is my, my 
role as a pastor and teacher comes from Matthew 13. And this is a, a mini parable. And so Jesus says, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. So Jesus is talking about those who are teaching the scriptures. And at the time of Jesus, the only scriptures they had were what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the the teachers of the law, the law given by God. And so he's saying, so a teacher of the law who knows about the kingdom. In other words, who knows, because Jesus came to bring the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is, is in your midst now that I'm here. So a teacher of the, the Old Testament, the law, who knows about Jesus and what he came to do, is now able to go into the storeroom, the treasure house of God, and bring out treasures, new and old, for people to consider. He can draw new things out of the Hebrew Scriptures and show them that God has had a great plan all along for His people. And so I love that, that phrase, and I, I kind of think of that as my, my work as a pastor. And so my sermon today is kind of an example of, of doing that. Going to the Old Testament prophet of Isaiah... And I want to show that how what what he wrote spoke to his time in some ways, but also looked ahead to the kingdom of God, to the Messiah who would come. The Messiah is, is the word in Hebrew for the anointed one. The one anointed by God to be the king over the people of God. That's what the Messiah... And they were they knew a Messiah would come. And so in Isaiah, that, that prophecies of a Messiah really start to, to come into to view as he did his work. So I'm going to first back up from Isaiah 11 and go into Isaiah 7. And you'll hear a familiar phrase, the virgin shall be with child and will call him Emmanuel. And so if that sounds familiar, I'll just have you know, I adapted this message today from my, my Advent sermons. I, I didn't do something completely new. So this was a, a pre-Christmas sermon. Um, but I want to share with you the context. Isaiah 7 was written when, when the people of God, Judah, were being threatened by invasion by a coalition of nations, mainly Syria and the, the Samaria in the north. And they were both stronger nations. And so the very, the very existence of the, the people of God was being threatened by this, this coalition of armies. And God wants his people and he wants his king to stand firm. And he says to him, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And so the king at that time was Ahaz. He was a descendant of King David. So he was ruling in Jerusalem And God says to Ahaz, trust me, stand firm. I will handle this situation. And so then in verse 10 of Isaiah 7, says the Lord says to Ahaz, he wants to reassure him. He says, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. God wants to reassure him. And so he says, ask me for a sign. 
Ask me that, that something that will convince you that I can deal with this problem. He says, don't go small. Ask for something big, right? I will do it. I wish God would ask me for that kind of sign, you know, that, that he, but Ahaz says, no, <gasps> far be it from me to, to put the Lord to the test. So I will not ask such a thing. Um, I wonder if Ahaz believes in God theoretically, but he doesn't really want to base his foreign policy based on a word from God through a prophet. So he, he doesn't really want to get too much detail because he wants the freedom to make his own decision. I wonder if that's why he says no. Well, Isaiah gets frustrated, or maybe God gets frustrated. And so he says, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? It's like a little miffed. And notice how he refers to the king. This will come back later. House of David. So Ahaz is a descendant from King David. So the ruling house in Jerusalem was the house of David. So God's annoyed. And so he decides he's going to give him a sign anyway. So this is, this is the verse you hear at Christmas time. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. I'm going to give you a sign anyways. And we hear that. And what do we think of? We think of Mary, of course, the, the virgin birth, the, the, the baby Jesus. But that is 700 years yet away. God gave this prophecy to point ahead to that birth. But King Ahaz, worried about the Syrians and the, the Samaritans, would not have thought about a birth, baby being born 700 years later. He wants to know what, what's God going to do now. Well, let's go on and I'll show you. God, God did have an answer for them. So in verse 15, it says, This child will eat curds and honey uh, before he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. Before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid to waste. Okay, let me explain that. Because that's a, a little bit of... The wording is really odd. And so, first of all, just understand, when he said a virgin shall conceive, a virgin in their, their culture just really meant a young maiden. So a woman who had not been married yet. And so you could take that one way. Simply mean a young woman who's not yet married will have time to get married. And maybe Ahaz had a daughter or a sister or a niece who's, who was of that age. So an unmarried young woman will have time to get married, get pregnant, and have a baby in the normal way. And then that child will grow and they'll grow old enough to, to reject the wrong and choose the right. In other words, grow old enough to eat real food, not just baby food, not just curds and honey. You know, so the child will start to eat real food. And in that time frame, God says, I will deal with the two kings you're worried about. So for Ahaz, it was an answer. And he could have said more simply, you know, Hey, Ahaz, don't worry about it. Within three or four years, I will take care of these two nations. They will not, they will not defeat you. You will not be overrun. But God chose to say it in the way he did because he was also pointing ahead to the future. You see, God knew the crisis that the people were facing at that time. And he knew that they were worried about that crisis. 
And he would deal with that crisis. But you know what? God also saw the next crisis coming. And so actually the next verse is verse 17. It says, The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of a father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. He just says, yes, I will deal with those two nations, but don't get too excited because something worse is coming. The Assyrians are on their way. The Assyrians were a rising power. And they would be the first of a series of Middle Eastern empires. The Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and then the Persians. And it would be the Assyrians who would actually take out the two kings they were worried about. And so then Israel would have to, or Judah would have to worry about them as well. The point of it being, God knows not only the crisis we face, He knows what's coming. And He knows there's more than a need for that thing that we're, we're worried about. So he pointed ahead to the ultimate answer. Not just the immediate one. He pointed ahead to Emmanuel. The virgin will be with child and you will call him Emmanuel. In Hebrew that means God with us. God in our midst. There is more going on than King Ahaz can envision. God is looking all the way ahead to the Roman Empire. And the Jewish people being ruled by another king, Herod. And he says, I will send my king into your midst. And then you'll know I'm with you. The Jewish people waited 700 years from this for that Messiah to come. uh, Isaiah was an 8th century prophet. That is a long time to wait. Think about where America was 700 years ago. You know, we didn't have the Europeans had not yet come. So... I, I, I was thinking about what are the things that we, and I'm speaking especially to people probably 30 and up, uh, maybe those with children, um, what are the things that we get instantly now that we used to have to wait for? What are the things that I had to wait for that my kids will never have to wait for, right? And so on the screen I got the, the Polaroid camera. And I don't know if you, if you remember that. You know, take the picture and you just sit and wait for it to, 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 to develop and you'd see it. And it was kind of cool in a way. My kids will never have to do that. You know, right? It's click and it's, and you got it there on your phone. Can you think of some other things that our kids will never have to wait for? Like long distance hours. Do you remember when like it was cheaper to call long distance after six o'clock? You know, you, you'd have uh, the young people ask your parents, you know, how that worked. But you would have to, you know, your parents would make you wait until this time to, to call your girlfriend far away or something like that. Uh, uh, TV episodes. Once upon a time, it was only on on a certain time of the week. You know, you didn't just like stream the, the entire season in one sitting. You know, you'd wait for those kind of things. And, and truthfully, we could go on on a lot of things. I don't know if we're that good at waiting. But God's people waited a long time. For the coming of Jesus Christ. For the coming of the Messiah. And the prophets kept pointing ahead to this answer that would come. This answer that would solve the problem that they didn't even see yet. So when the prophets wrote, they wrote for their own time. They wrote for people who were worried about things. And so oftentimes God was speaking to their immediate moment. But all along there's this idea that a greater answer was coming. A future ruler who would address the problem of sin. 
who would address the problem of, of the things that keep us from, from knowing God the way we're meant to know Him, from the things that keep us in turning away from Him and, and doing sin and the guilt of sin, things that they couldn't conceive. It kept saying, a Messiah will come. In Isaiah 11, the, the, the ministry of the Messiah starts to, to take shape. And it's more directly about the coming of the Messiah. So it starts with, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Okay, so this is about the Messiah. The stump of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. And so it was another way of saying the descendants of David. There will come forth a descendant of David from the stump of Jesse, a new shoot. But, but if it says tree stump, what does that mean happened to the tree? It got cut down, right? Well, that hadn't happened yet. Ahaz is like, uh, Isaiah, I'm right here. You know, the, the king of, of Judah is, is still alive. And, and what this is saying, there will come a time when the descendants, the line of David, will appear to have been cut down. And that, that future ruler will come after that time. And so when Isaiah was writing, that had not yet happened. It would happen a few hundred years later when the last of the kings of the line of David, King Zedekiah, he would be threatened by the king of Babylon and He would be captured, and before his eyes, they killed his own sons, all the potential heirs. And then they blinded uh, Zedekiah, yes. Um, They blinded Zedekiah, and he spent the rest of his days in a Babylonian prison. The tree was cut down. But a new stump would yet emerge, and that would be the, the one, a new tree shoot, would be the Messiah who has come. And so... Then in verses 2 and 3, it talks about how he would be marked. It says, he will be marked by the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. This, this new Messiah would be filled with God's Spirit in a way that God could be seen through him. The King David had been a man after God's own heart, but yet he got engaged in grievous sin. You may know the story. So he sinned, and each of his descendants were also got involved in sin, and corruption just kept growing. But this Messiah would be untouched by that kind of corruption. He he would be marked truly by God's Spirit. And says that the Spirit of the Lord would be upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Messiah would, would see the truth of the situation. The Spirit of counsel and might. The, the Messiah would know what to do and he'd have the power to do it. And it says the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Messiah would not just have the Bible knowledge, but he would know how to put it into practice in a relationship of, of love with, the, with God, with the Father. So that would be the mark of this, this Messiah. And then moving on, it says, With righteousness he shall judge the poor... And decide with equity the meek of the earth. Does that sound familiar? The meek of the earth. Jesus said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. This is pointing ahead to the Messiah's ministry. It's saying that 
to, to judge means to rule, to issue judgments on right or wrong. And when you look at Jesus, he, he paid special attention to the poor, to the hurting, to the meek, to those who've been left out of society. He made sure they had his attention, that he was available to them, that he cared for them, that he, he oftentimes healed them. But how will the Messiah bring about this rule? You know, a king brings his rule through military power. It says, He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. So in Hebrew, the way they taught a truth is they said it two ways that are saying the same truth, but kind of two parallel ways. And so the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips are the same thing. They're his teaching, his word. In other words, he would bring his rule not by destroying people, not with military power to take over. He would bring it through the authority of his word, through the authority of his teaching. In Matthew, it says that Jesus, um, when the people saw, heard the teachings of Jesus, it says they were amazed because he taught as one who had authority. They saw that in him. It would be through his word that Jesus would change the world, not through armies. goes on in verse 5 in Isaiah 11 still. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The Messiah will be marked by righteousness, faithfulness. In fact, it, he will be clothed in it. It will be a part of him. It's not just an outward appearance of righteousness. It will be part of who he is. And then verses 6 to 8 is a, is a great picture. It talks about the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And then it goes on, and I won't read the whole thing again. But it basically it matches a predator with a prey and talks about them lying down together, sitting together, eating together. And, and the point of it all is that God will ultimately remake the rules of creation. When the kingdom of the Messiah has come in its fullness, and for this we still await, this fullness of the kingdom, then... All these things will happen together. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. God will remove the predator instinct. So predators will now eat grass and hay. And it says a little child shall lead them. This is not saying we'll be led by children. It's saying that a little child can lead, uh, have a lion as a pet. Or can even play with baby snakes and not get hurt. It's saying the rules of this world that we live in will be adapted and changed so that, that we can live right with God. In Romans, Paul affirms the same thing. He says, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God has plans. Jesus has come and dealt with the biggest problem, our problem of sin, but he's still not done yet. And one day we will see the, the, the earth remade, the, the physical world we live in redone so that we can live forever with God. Amen. We have things to look forward to, people of God. And then he, he not only has to remake creation, he has to, the harder thing is he has to remake us. It says, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. The Messiah will change how we relate to God. We won't just know about God. We will know the Lord. We will have that connection with Him. And He'll also change how we relate to one another. Instead of being marked by violence and anger and abuse, our relationships will be made holy and righteous and good. They will not hurt or destroy on my holy mountain where my rule is known. Things will be done right. That's what the Messiah will bring. Verse 10. I love this verse. In that day, the root of Jesse, so again, that's this this future Messiah, shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire. So in other words, this Messiah will come out of the Jewish people, but he won't be just for the Jewish people. It'll be for all nations can come and inquire and get connected to to this this, the God that the, the Jews have taught us about. And, and, and there will be a sign for the peoples. I love this. So God put a sign. When Jesus was lifted up on the cross, Pontius Pilate ordered that a sign be made that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was put in three languages. Uh, Hebrew for the Jewish people, Latin for the Roman soldiers, and Greek for all the, the people in Jerusalem who spoke Greek. The sign for all the nations was right above his head as the kingdom was being brought in its fullness through Christ. And that last phrase, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now when Ahaz heard that, I'm sure the thought in his head was, oh, they'll make some big pyramid for him like they do in Egypt. You know, they'll bury him in a glorious tomb because that's how you have a glorious resting place in that day. But we know an even more glorious resting place. It is empty because God raised him from the dead and now he has ascended up to the Father and sits at his right hand till that day he comes back to set things right in this world in fullness. His resting place is glorious. So the Messiah would come. What do we do with this? How can this speak to our day? So I have three action points. Three, three things that I think um, apply. One is God will give us not just the answer we are looking for, but the answer we need. Oftentimes we approach God because there's something going on in our life. Something we recognize some need for. And, and that is okay. God understands that. And oftentimes the people, people only really start to seek out God when they realize there's something missing in their life or there's such pain in their life. They know they need something they can't do themselves. And God will respond to that immediate answer. But he ultimately wants to point us ahead to the answer we truly need, which is, which is Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God who gave his life to, to deal with the problem of our sin and the guilt of our sin so that we could be in right relationship with God. That is the answer we need. The second application point that I, I want to highlight is, is it possible that in uncertain times, times where there's a lot of anxiety and fear, people might be ready to hear about the Messiah? That Isaiah's message came in a time when they were worried about invasion. 
They had a lot of fears. And yet he kept pointing ahead to that Messiah. Could it be our time? Is there not a lot of anxiety about multiple things in our culture right now? Maybe there's people out there who are more ready to hear than they ever have before. And this congregation of people who love the Lord, who love God, you can be that light for Christ without out in the community, out amongst your friends and others who are worried. We have, we have something that we can hold on to and lift up to them and point ahead to them. So maybe, maybe you've experienced where people weren't open to hearing about Jesus. Maybe you've felt indifference or even hostility. Maybe God's bringing us to the point where our society is ready now to hear again. And then the third thing I want us to think about, and this really goes more personally for you. When God said to Ahaz, if you do not stand firm, you will not stand at all. There are times when God's people have to stand firm in our faith, no matter what the circumstances are around us. What would it mean for you right now to stand firm in your faith? How is God calling you to take courage and know that he is God and stand firm right where he has you? Father in heaven, I know you you have the answers we're looking for. I know that... You, you know the, the, the thing where we fear the most. And you are more than able to deal with that fear. But Lord, help us draw near to Jesus. Help us be strong and firm in our faith so that, that nothing can move us and we can stand with you as we follow your Son as he leads. In Jesus' name, amen.